Hello and welcome to the Conversations Podcast. This is Hussein Omar, the host. Uh, so it's been a while since I've had an episode. Uh, I actually did this one with my friend Nate Davis in over the um, over the summer. Um, but as you may have heard, uh, we just had twins, my wife and I. So even before they were born, they took up a, a lot of my time. And then now that they're born, even though they're in intensive care, uh, they're actually they're because they were premature. They're doing fine. We're hoping they'll get out of the next week or two. Uh, but they're taking up even more of my time. Uh, but so I had about an hour free, so I figured I'd put this up, and then I'm actually going to do an interview with my daughter soon. So look out for that. Um, and then after that, I don't know when my next uh, episode will be. Uh, but so like I said, this one is with my friend Nate Davis. He is a playwright. We've known each other for a long time since we were like youth. Um, he's currently doing a fellowship at Juilliard in New York City. Uh, he's got his master's in playwriting, um, and he's got some amazing plays uh, that have come out and will be coming out. And we talk a lot about the difference between uh, plays and other visual media. Um, I don't know if you, that's how you would say it, but we talk about the difference between plays and film and TV and things like that. Um, what the life of a playwright is like and possible career of a playwright, uh, and then different things that inform his art. And uh, so I, I got a lot out of it. I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and I kind of knew it would be because he's an interesting guy. Uh, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Test. One, two, three. Test. Four. Five. Okay, I'm recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not nervous. Welcome, yeah, me neither. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations. Uh, first episode in a while for me, first ever for you. Yeah, that's right. You are Nathan Davis. Uh, yeah, yes, I am. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> yes, well, you're welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had a couple questions for you. Cool. Do you want to do like a brief bio? Oh, yeah? Like where you're from? Yeah. Your, uh... um, yeah, well, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. Home of Beefaroo. Home of Beefaroo. There are many of them. I didn't realize that Beefaroo was not a national chain until relatively, you know, I'm not going to say recently, but until longer. And I I thought that longer than I needed to. Um, (laughs) And uh, I now live in New York City. um, And I attend the Juilliard School as a playwriting fellow. And I live in New York in Inwood. Up to no good, northern side of Manhattan, <laughs> with my wife Liz and our three daughters, Olivia, Eleanor, and Elsie. Eleanor being the youngest, even though I didn't say it in the right order. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you're bu- you're busy. You're busy. I'm man. busy. Yeah, got things to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, you well, live in Chicago. Yeah, Evanston. I do. We go way back. Yeah. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> workshop. Yeah. Bayes workshop days. Bayes workshop days. Urbana days. Yeah. Evanston days. Regional Youth Committee, RYC. Yeah. Also, w- one question I had is, because you're a playwright. Yeah. Why plays? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Why not? Why not plays? <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> um, I think I, well, you know, my family is in the theater. My dad was an actor uh, and still acts from time to time. And in Rockford, when I was growing up, there was one actual like theater company. It was called New American Theater in terms of like a professional theater company. And they did really quality work, even though Rockford is, doesn't have a ton of theater going on. But I was able to see that. And, uh, and then... I think I just sort of fell in love with the magic of theater, like being in a theater. Like, I love theaters, like theater spaces, or even if it's not a theater space, when someone creates a performance space. I'm just fascinated by live performance, you know, um, by just the whole event of it, like the crowd, the audience, whatever you call them at whatever point. Um, and just the fact that we're having this sort of cultural event that's happening live in real time in the moment, but there's an you know, exchange between performer and audience, uh, I find that uh, really exciting. Mm. So, mm. yes. Uh, you started, you were, 
uh, you got your bachelor's in. You got my bachelor's acting in or? acting. Yeah, okay. yeah. That was that was the Urbana days. <laughs> was that the original plan to be an actor? Or? Yes. Huh. Yes. I had a professor, uh, Ken Weitzman, who's a playwright and mentor to me. He was saying that at one point he said that acting is a gateway drug for everything else in theater. Everyone kind of has that. Um, usually that's the initial uh, goal for a lot of people is they want to get, be on stage, they want to act, which makes sense because you want to be where it's happening. <coughs> um, so that was the original plan, and then uh, and things changed. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm, I'm really consider myself more of a playwright. And mm-hmm. I'm not totally giving up on the idea of acting, but... Playwriting is much more front and center for me, definitely. Mm. Well, is there a difference between, I mean, I guess there is, but I just don't know. It, what, like, what's the difference between writing for like a play versus a, a movie script versus like a TV show script? Or, Well, I have very little experience with movie scripts. I've never written one, except for I've written like short, very sh- short screenplays for classes I've t- taken. Um, <clears throat> and I had a class, a uh, television writing class, but I don't have any real experience in those fields, so I can't completely, I can't speak with a lot of expertise on it, but I can say that uh, fundamentally the difference has to do with the fact that in the theater you really can't control the eye of the audience the same way you can if it's screen, whether it's small screen or big screen. You know, It's, it's a visual medium primarily um, when you're dealing with screenplays. Or television, because you're com- you're having complete control on what the viewer is seeing at any moment. Um, in the theater, of course, they're probably going to watch the actors, but you don't control the visual picture nearly as much. And I think dialogue becomes more central. <coughs> and I also think the ingredient of imagination, the audience's imagination, comes into play much more because. Uh, everything's happening right there in real time. So they're hearing the, the dialogue and their response, whether it's an actual like palpable response or just their imagination or whatever it is, it's happening there. You can feel the exchange happening. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the difference. I mean, there's a lot of similarities too. This story is told usually through... <coughs> wow, I'm coughing a lot. <laughs> Some water. Um <laughs> Stories told through like dialogue and action, you know, but <clears throat> but yeah, <laughs> scoffing is a problem. <laughs> I should look into that. <laughs> I don't know if it's allergies or what. Yeah, but yeah, are there any doctors listening? <laughs> Help! <laughs> That's really interesting. I never really thought about that because when you were watching a, a movie or TV, you have a lot of aids. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a close up. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to focus on this person. Yeah. And then the music is building, so something mm-hmm. is happening with them. But yeah. with, I, don't, I don't know why I never really put that together. When you watch a play, you're seeing the whole yeah. screen, and you have to... I mean, you know where the, I, you know where the action's happening, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a whole world that you're watching, kind mm-hmm. of, really. <laughs> you added the song. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get some water? <coughs> oh, I don't know where it would go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or if it would help. Or should, or should we just keep pushing through? <laughs> Is there an apple over there? Yeah. I think it might help. Can I take it? Yeah. I feel like that's wrong. Some nuts over there, too. It's not Oh, man. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Okay. It's a laughable playwright. Oh, my gosh. Um, I forgot what you th- the last thing you said, but... Um, oh, I was just talking about, yeah. like, uh, yeah, with a video and... With a screen medium, the viewer has clues of where to look and what's kind of what's going on internally. and Yeah, the underscoring... Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot more aids to the storytelling. Yeah, I guess it's that idea of sort of being. <clears throat> I think it's a lot harder 
no, I should say it's harder. I just feel like, this is the way that I think of theater, there's so much of it is in what's not said and in what's happening live uh, right there, especially with the audience's imagination and how they interpret the story and how they uh, respond. And, and with, other, <clears throat> with other mediums, there's just a lot more ways you can... Uh, no, the strain of thought's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they're the same and they're different. Mm. They're great and yet small. I don't know what that means. Don't use this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, theater, uh, plays, screenplays. Uh, so your first was your first, was Don Trello Kiss the Sea? Was that your first play? Yeah, no. Oh wait. Well, it was my first play to be produced. Okay. Oh, yeah, because you, you had to write something for, like, the MFA program. Like, <laughs> I did, yeah, but it's funny because those plays that I wrote before, um, yeah, I mean, the first play that I wrote was extremely long and extremely, um, you know, it would be very difficult to figure out how to produce it because there's just a lot of issues because it was my first play that I wrote. Mm. But it's been, like, two years writing this sort of epic Elizabethan-style verse play. Oh, whoa. Um, yeah. Um, and it was kind of like my way of educating myself in a way of how to write a play and using models that I liked. And I was taking some Shakespeare acting classes at the time that helped me a lot. <coughs> wow. Um, <laughs> this is not going well. So, um, so there was that happening. And then, um, and then I wrote another play that I had to write quickly for an application for grad school, a play called The Wind and the Breeze, which was a little more contemporary. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, I wrote down trail when I was in grad school, and that's the play that sort of helped to launch my professional career because people actually did it, like they produced it, which mm. is great. Are you going to pursue the other two? Do you think, um, well, The Wind in the Breeze, I actually just had a, a workshop of it at the New Harmony Project in Indiana uh, in May, <laughs> and it went really well. And So I'm hoping that that will get some traction at some point. The other one, um, the first play that I wrote, that one is still in the desk drawer. I'm not saying you'll never take it out, but it's, I don't have any, uh, not that compelled to work on it at this time. Mm. I think maybe sometime down the road mm. I'll revisit it and it might become some other thing. I can see it being a novel. I can see it mm. being even a, a screenplay for a, a film. Or maybe I'll just, you know, a lot of it's about finding the right collaborators, too. People that are really excited mm. about it and want to work on it with you. Mm. So, Are there, <clears throat> are there themes that, across all those plays that, that it feels it's like emerging for you or things that you're kind of grappling with? Or? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think some of the themes that come up a lot, one is a little legacy. Um, and, you know, one of the things... I think of especially as a Baha'i, we talk about we, we talk about one of the teachings in the in the Baha'i faith, you know, is that um, that all men have been created to carry forward an ever advancing civilization, and so that idea of that we're here to carry forward this thing that's much larger than us and is hopefully going to um, outlast us, and that we can contribute to this huge, amazing, epic story of humanity like that always sort of carries it like finds its way into my work uh in different ways but the idea that the character is usually like grappling with larger um larger issues or larger legacies than just their own personal lives and trying to figure out their way in that mm. um <clears throat> and then um you know my, my personal background is i'm i'm biracial so my dad is black my mom is white and so that sort of, I think a lot, that creates in me a lot of um, sort of internal conflicts about like where I fit in in the world, about dichotomies, you know, um, and where race is really a huge issue that we struggle to overcome as a, well, I would say as a nation, but I guess as a world, really. Um, and so I don't know that I necessarily write about that, quote unquote, but that that idea of um, 
I don't know, of sort of trying to figure out, <clears throat> you know, who you are in your own terms uh, and how you fit in and, um, and grappling with like these big unresolved questions, you know, um, about history, about the past, about the future, all those things kind of come into play. Um, in your place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In some way. And <clears throat> I, I, by now I probably should have some like shorter, um, sort of encapsulation of like what my work is about quote unquote mm. but I always struggle to do that like an artist statement or something yeah like and I think mm. I even have an artist statement I forgot what it says but <laughs> it's good you know it makes sense but um, I always struggle to do it especially in like conversations like this I feel like convers- the whole point of a, of a longer conversation is that you can really so looking at things in isolation you can kind of like broaden the um, perspective you know and I feel like Really, if I was to be honest, I feel like plays are about everything. You know, like if you look at like mm-hmm. a really great play, or even any story for that matter, that we think of as being great and wonder and really like monumental play, like Hamlet, for example. Like, what is Hamlet about? You know, is it just about vengeance? You know, or is it just about betrayal? Like, I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. it's about pretty much everything. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that every play that I write is as good as Hamlet, but I feel like. Pl- plays tend to grapple with like the fundamental questions of what does it mean to be a human being, um, and there might be different flavors and different angles and different um, contexts you can put that in. But at the end of the day, I feel like you know we always is grappling with you know the individual and society and family, and God, and you know all of these sort of big uh, questions about life and death. You know. And, um, what does it mean to be a human being and why are we here and what do we want to leave behind and all that stuff. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine, I don't know, when you were talking to I imagine it's hard to talk about your work because, um, like I remember someone asked, I think a couple of artists have said this, but I remember someone asked Pablo Neruda, you know, the poet, about, yeah. about a poem and he said, well, if I had a different way to say it, I would have said it. And you know, yes, <laughs> I, I love it. that quote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I might have said that, copped that recently, or mm-hmm. something. And I, was, I was just thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, if I could find a way to say what I'm trying to say without writing a play, I would, I would just say it. The whole point is that like the play is the answer, you know, mm-hmm. or the poem is the answer, or the song is the answer. I mean, hopefully, I think when you create art, if you if you're doing it well and if it's communicating well like that piece of art becomes the reference point you know uh as opposed to what is it in reference to mm. you know it's like well you know, this is the, the new reference point this is how i this is the sort of lens through which i can now look at this issue or, or whatever it is mm. um like you know we always like, quote you know artists and philosophers and historical people important people <laughs> And like those, you know, we quote them because their words have cre- their words have created the sort of, hopefully, they either encapsulate or they create, um, you know, an idea that that we're drawn to, you know, um, and so like th- that's the essential thing, and then everything around it um, is affected by it, um, mm. and so yeah, that's kind of the way the goal is is to create something, and it, it's it's a tough game to play because the other thing is that you're in a theater, you're always collaborating. And for that matter, in any art form, you know, you have to collaborate with somebody at some point to get your stuff out there or to help it reach, you know, um, new heights or whatever it is. And so you do have to have a conversation with people about specifics, about, okay, well, what is this trying to communicate? What is it in conversation with? And those are all valid conversations that should happen. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. But when it gets down to the essence, you know, um, I feel like that's all still talking around the real thing, which is just the work itself, you know, mm. the, the thing itself. Mm. Um, and so there's, a, there's always a certain point at which it becomes relatively, um, it's fun to talk about it, talk around it, but it is, it's, not, it's no substitute for just the thing, you know, for the, what the thing is. Mm. Um, yep. <laughs> Is there is there a play or part of a play or even phrases within a play where you, you're like that's it like I nailed 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, over. Yeah. Because I remember once I was, I was a TA for a while in our Urbana days. Yeah, Urbana days. And I had one class that was like, because I wanted, I was going to be a teacher at that time. And I had one class as a TA. It was like everything I'd ever hoped and wanted to be as, as a, a classroom event <laughs> over the semester. It was amazing. Like people's minds were changed and this class was completely cohesive. They ran themselves when I was gone. Like, That's it was, amazing. I know, it was nuts. And then afterwards, I felt like that was it. Like, I, there's nowhere to go after that. Yeah, you attained your goal as a TA. Yeah. As a teacher. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I, like, I wonder, is there something like that for you? Not, not that you're like, I'm done, like mic drop kind of thing. But, you know, like, a part, something that you've done that you're like, that was exactly what I... There's no... Mm. There's, I couldn't have improved on that or something or, you know. Or, yeah, that's a good question. Um, or is that something that you're even searching for? <clears throat> hmm. That's an even better question. Well, I, guess, <gasps> I guess part of it too is because you got an external recognition. Like you got right. you won an award for Dontrell. Right. But I know you didn't do it for that. Right. You know, so... Yeah, that's a really good point. I think the... Um, I mean, the recognition is definitely great because, I mean, no matter what, I think as human beings, we do crave being recognized and being appreciated for what we do. Um, and so that's always, it's always great to have that because it sort of validates, um, even though in theory, I'd love to say that, oh, I don't need any external validation. I believe in myself completely and I'm going to do what I do no matter what. But the reality is you need, you do need external validation. You need to know that what you're trying to say and what you're trying to do is resonating with people. Uh, and when that happens, then you gain more confidence and then you, you know, you can hopefully use that as a stepping stone. So all that stuff is wonderful. Um, at the same time, though, yeah, it's, it's also, it's also struck, it's also, made me realize how um, how sort of not the point it is mm. um, because it it's just it's so temporary you know it happens it's like mm. you can be um, <clears throat> uh, you can be I mean I, I've honestly even though it's I guess to me the, the ultimate validation is when somebody wants to produce uh, my play because that means that you want to put your time, your energy, your resources into telling the story and you really believe in it with your actions and there it is. Um, and so when that happens, I feel elated. I'm just glad that that's happening. Um, but then productions are relatively short. You know, they, they, they rehearsed and they're prepared for and they're put up and then they're taken down and the set's destroyed <laughs> or given away and everyone's on to the next project, you know. Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't last, um, and uh, and so I actually think I tried this past year when I had all these productions, all these productions of Don Trell. I kept trying to tell myself, you know, just enjoy this moment mm. when the play is happening, people are seeing it, and just being in the room and seeing people um, engage with the play, like that's it. Like you were saying, that that moment of okay, this is happening, the thing is happening, it's here. Um, so I've tried to do that, <clears throat> but it's hard because I'm also thinking, what's the next thing? Or, oh, what's, what could have been better? Or, you know, you're always, especially I think in this field, which is very um, difficult to, to earn a living in, you know, there's, there's definitely a sort of starvation mentality that, oh man, like, if this doesn't mm -hmm. help me get launched into a larger uh, production or, you know, if it doesn't help me get a, eventually get a, a bigger royalty check or a commission or whatever it is, then I'm going to be left to dry. You start thinking of all these practical things, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but definitely I think the um, people doing the play and just seeing that happen and being part of the productions and the audiences, um, that was like my classroom moment, you know, of like, oh, it's all happening, it's all working. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, just, I tried to just enjoy that. But then also, you know, <clears throat> I have to be ready to do it again with another play, you know, and then um, it's such a mess too in terms of like how you, <laughs> how you go about, I don't know how to take all of that stuff and then organize it into a way that will guarantee its future life. And, you know, so much of it is sort mm. of left to the wind in a way, you know, that mm. um, in terms of if people will decide to produce a play or not or who will or when or how it happens. Mm. 
so yeah, I'm thankful for for the success that play has had. Um, but it's certainly by no means um, ultimately fulfilling. And I feel like in some ways, maybe I'm not supposed to be fulfilled by it, you know? Mm. Um, maybe just in a way having the, having the lack, like having that and then having, and then being empty again and then having to go out and search for the next thing. <clears throat> um, like that, that's what sort of fuels you to keep going to the next thing. Mm. Um, so I guess that's just the way it is that you can't you don't walk around content all the time that you're like, in a way you're always kind of needy, kind of like a beggar, mm. <laughs> um, you know, like looking for the next, um, the next thing that's going to fill you. Um, I don't know. Is that good? Bad? Should it not be that way? I don't know. I, I'd love to think that there's some way of just being content all the time, but mm. let me know if you figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> The lottery. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. Lottery. <laughs> so, did you, wait, did you did it stop you from like when you had that moment of in your classroom? Did you did that like? How did that make your next experiences? Mm. Uh, well, I've had that twice. Once with teaching, and then once with film. Oh yeah, yeah. Not my own film, but. Uh, so yeah, so like we, I had this class and it was amazing, and students really responded to it. And, and my goal at that time was, because these were all undergrads that were learning how to be teachers, it was like my, a mandatory class, uh, is history of American education, and my goal was to bring all of them to a crisis where they questioned everything they thought they knew about education, and for the most part, that happened. Like I. I <laughs> It was just the right amount of factors. I mean, even the layout of the classroom and everything like contributed to it. Um, and they were amazed too. I mean, it was like we all participated. It wasn't just me doing something. It was like we all participated in this kind of life changing event. Like where they, like I had them write down at the beginning, I gave them a writing prompt. I said, "Education is," and then they wrote down something, and I collected it. Then at the end of the class, I said, "Education is." I gave them the same prompt and collected it, and then I handed them both back to them. And it was like, at first it was like, education is this wonderful process where people learn how to read and write and do math. And then at the end it was like, education is a racist, classist, imperialist. <laughs> We're like competing visions of America are contending with each other. I was like, yo! <laughs> we went a little too far. But, <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, it was really interesting because they just, they completely... Change their minds, and then, and then, and then in film, I remember when I, I saw that film where the wild things are. I can't remember who directed Spike Jones, maybe or mm. something like that. I can't I remember. Know. But it was weird. It was like that marked a moment in my life where, and the, the, what unites those both those moments is I was like, oh, I, I in some way achieved what I wanted out of teaching and film, like as of. Consumer, I guess, yeah. consumer of film. Yeah, and then I was like, "So wait, now what do I do? Like, what now? What do I want to do with like when I ever enter a classroom or when I watch a film mm. or something like that?" Um, That's great. That kind of creates a threshold or a a, a, a plateau. Yeah, That's the word plateau. Yeah, it marked like the end of a cycle or something. Mm. I was like, "This is what I had wanted to achieve. I achieved it. So now, what's the next thing?" Yeah. Which I guess is similar to what, what you were saying. Yeah, it's exciting too. And it's so interesting because like it's like can you, how how do you, how can you possibly create those exact conditions again? Yeah, like yeah. you can't really, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could happen again, but it probably that's a moment in time that can only be as it was with all those things in play. Yeah. So, that's a big challenge cuz it's funny because with like with Dantrell, for example, it had so much interest and like it's, it's a play that you know a lot of theaters did it it got me into uh, Juilliard um, you know it, it really got me established uh, in um, professionally in a way that I hadn't been before hmm. and so my one of my challenges is okay so what do I do next because I can't necessarily just write another version of that play oh yeah you know it's like the sophomore album kind of yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I, I can't guarantee that everything that I write or anything that I write will necessarily garner that much interest. You know, I mean, because Dantrell deals with 
um, the slave trade, even though it's not like about slavery per se, it's a modern story, but it deals with the Middle Passage and this sort of really specific kind of hero's quest story mm-hmm. that's set in modern-day Baltimore. And it's very, um, it's, it's a play that, even though it deals with some large ideas and has some mysticism and stuff in it, it's also very uh, easy, I think, to find your way into intellectually and say, oh, well, this is about this, this issue, or this is this is my way to talk about it. You know what I mean? It's, um, And so I don't necessarily know that the next thing that I write or the things that I'm writing now are going to have that, you know? Mm, yeah, because um, you've kind of already explored it. Exactly, I, I did that. So <laughs> I don't feel like writing part two of that, <laughs> that play. That's not going to happen. Um, so, but, but the point is that if I were to hold on too tightly to, oh, well, this was this was the thing that did well, so I need to just repeat that again. I mean, I got to find out what things about it were worked for me and what things about it, what, what are the fundamental things that happen that I can repeat, and then what are the things I have to let go of mm. and just let the next thing be whatever it is, you know. Mm. Um, but it's definitely created kind of a, a reference point for me. Like, this is a great um, experience, and hopefully... Um, I can have others that are also great, but I don't know. You know, I don't know what, what's in, what's ahead. And hopefully, there's a lot of things I don't expect. You know, around mm. the corner. So, mm. are there any current playwrights that you like look up to right now, or that you're like mo- a career that you want to model yourself after in a way? Or? That's a good, great question. I mean, I th- I think that's actually we're living in a time of a lot of really great. Um, uh, playwriting happening. Um, so the difficulty is that it's not a very viable career path, and so a lot of playwrights have to, you know, dabble in other mediums or things like that in order to to make ends meet. Um, bank robbing. What? Bank robbing. Bank robbing <laughs> is definitely one. Um <laughs> Yeah. Running, the, running the block. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Um, mm. But but in terms of other, I, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of playwrights that I admire and look up to. I don't know that I have like one major hero per se, um, mm. but there are definitely some some writers that are really exciting. Like you know, Sarah Rule is a playwright that a lot of people know about. She writes really poetic um, uh, mythical plays that I'm really uh, I really like quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, Annie Baker is a playwright who writes um, <clears throat> I don't know I, I don't, I don't want to try to I can't even talk about my own plays so I don't want to start talking about other people's plays oh. <laughs> but um, but her style is she has a lot of it's very naturalistic in a lot of ways and very a lot of silence in the, in the plays and mm-hmm. there's this really very awesome kind of silent rhythm that she has going on and her dialogue is just so clear and piercing and poetic without necessarily trying to be all the time mm-hmm. um, I, I could start naming I'm not going to start naming names because I'm going to start feeling bad for like leaving people out mm-hmm. <laughs> but there are there are quite a f- quite a few playwrights that I'm inspired by, and probably like my biggest influence is someone who I know you also um, like a lot, which is Saul Williams, mm. um, in terms of what he does with like language and mixing mediums and just everything that he's about. You know, mm. um, probably draw a lot of inspiration from that um, from him. Is it kind of in the way that in the film world where there's kind of like an elite level of playwrights that? have a, their name established and they're pretty secure. You know what I mean? It's like Steel, Spielberg isn't looking where his, where his next meal is coming from. You know? <laughs> right. like, or probably David Mamet. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it sort of is. I don't, I don't know. I think the elite level, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that's the right word for it. But, well, no. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I wonder about... I feel like in terms of actual... If you're talking about actually like making a living, um, I would say there are playwrights that might seem like they're quote unquote elite or they've been mm. produced a lot, but who still aren't really 
able to uh, oh, so to make a living from it. Or video, yeah, or television or teaching or what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are certainly a handful of playwrights that probably could or can or do make uh, make their their living through through their plays, but it's a very small amount. So I would say that probably the thing that sort of gets you relatively established in the industry is if you have a production in New York City and it's well reviewed and then it from there it can often it often is picked up by regional theaters all around the country mm. um, it's, it's, it's a sort of problematic uh, model we have in some ways because ultimately um, uh, there is like a couple of reviewers you know that kind of determine the fate of <laughs> of oh. people's careers just because of the way that everyone looks to New York and then the New York Times is like you know the sort of um, the paper that will that people look to to validate um, <clears throat> right or wrong that's what's the industry kind of follows that in, in a lot of ways I think that's mm. that's sort of changed I don't think that's really fair for anybody um, mm. for either the reviewers or for the writers. Uh, or directors mm. or whoever's involved, but I think there's hopefully a change happening with that in terms of you know it's definitely been talked about quite a bit, and I think uh, you know theaters are being encouraged to explore different ways of creating a buzz for the sh- for their show besides just oh it got you know this review and mm. in the Times or what have you. Mm. <clears throat> um, but is, yeah, is the theater world kind of grappling with issues of like access to the theater because like I was thinking about your play mm-hmm. Don Trello, I feel like there's a lot of kids probably that are probably working through some of the same issues you know mm-hmm. but they may not be from a community or a family that makes theater going a, a regular part yep. of their life you know yep yeah that is definitely an issue um, that and <clears throat> I think a lot of theaters do make efforts to try to reach out to uh, their communities and and foster theater going and have educational programs and all of that. Uh, but it's difficult um, if you don't. I feel like if if there's so many things you're fighting against, you know, mm. um, it's not just a matter purely of um, access per se. It's um, it's about culture. It's about habit. It's about Gen- genuine openness, you know, like, do we really want everybody to come to the theater, really? Or mm. are we just saying that, but we still want, you know, mostly, um, you know, people's money? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I think that most people that are doing theater are doing it not for money. They're usually doing it for, for love. But as soon as finances are introduced um, into the picture, um, you have to deal with the realities of that. So yeah, there's all those things are sort of happening, um, and you know I think the, the encouraging thing is that there's quite a bit of conversation happening in the theater community about about these things. Um, it's it's brought up a lot, it's talked about a lot, um, and I think there's definitely progress being made. But there's quite a bit of um, work to do. I think I think it really starts with like the diversity of theaters themselves in terms of who's staffed on those theaters and what their backgrounds are, and um, I think from there, uh, I think that's the source of a lot of it, is that, you know, we tend to be relatively homogenous in terms of, like, who who, who runs the theaters, who's on the board. Mm. Um, and I feel like until we sort of address that, it might be hard to really um, open up everything. Because mm. um, then it's, it's, cause because of, in that way, it's, it's not so much... It's it's like a becomes a charity thing as opposed to just being an organic part of this is who we are as a community. You know, mm. do we really reflect the community in our makeup? Mm. I imagine too. There's like a theater going audience that has kind of a culture mm-hmm. and way of behaving, mm-hmm. and if people that don't know that culture way <laughs> start coming in, like there might be some friction. Or, you know, yeah, yeah. I guess that's possible. I mean, I I remember I was at one of the performances for Dantrell in LA and this couple came in and they sat in the front row and the theater was mostly empty. They sat in the front and they had like 
a platter of like burgers and fries and they start eating. <laughs> it's an intimate theater, so the actors like right in front of them and they're just like watching the play, like eating their burger and like eating their fries. And um, <laughs> it was a little awkward. <laughs> um, but I was actually glad that nobody like came up to them and said, hey, put that away. Because it, it just yeah. felt like these clearly are not quote unquote theater goers. They just, they came from. Um, the burger shop. <laughs> they wanted to see the show, and and they sat down. <coughs> so it's nice, it, you know. It doesn't always have to be like a, a reverent kind of thing. That oh, we go and we we're quiet and we pay attention. I mean, yeah, you do want people to pay attention, and you probably don't want them to like, you know, eat through the entire play. But <laughs> you know, at the same time. Why not? You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it is also entertainment, and uh, so so that's always interesting. I think, yeah, I feel like because I feel like fundamentally, theater is like a ceremony. You know, it's like we mm. we want people to be there and participate, and I prefer if the audience actually like you know responds, <laughs> like if they're vocally involved, <laughs> if they like you know mm. laugh, shout, whatever it is. I, I'd like that to happen. Because then I feel like there's something happening, mm. you know, um, and we don't always necessarily foster that. But it also has to do about who's who's coming, you know, who's who's there and who's not there. Um, mm. And there definitely is like a dominant mm. theater going culture that probably is a little more quiet, you know, which mm. I'm comfortable with. I mean, I grew up doing theater that way, but mm. you know, it's always a balance. Mm. It's always a balance. Mm. Got to find. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because like. <clears throat> I've only been to a couple of plays, but but the, I don't know. The thing that's interesting is you're all in the same room. This intense emotional thing is happening in front of you, and you're kind of invested, you know. But like the way I watch movies or TV is, uh, I just sit with my laptop on the couch, I watch a little bit, get up, yeah. take a break, check Facebook. You yeah, know, like, <laughs> it's a totally different way of yeah. consuming. It's more passive and more isolated, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And Especially I can pause now, it. It's man. completely dependent on how I feel. Like I can just pause it and be like, no, I'm just going to watch Scrubs now. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like when you're in theater, you're like there, you're in it, you're listening, you're involved in it. You're all in the same room, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. I was even watching, I saw some video clip about, I'm not sure what it's called, a video store in LA that closed recently. It was like this hub. It's like, it was like a, a video rental place that people go to and they get movies. And they were just talking about how it was about to close because of you know, Netflix or whatever. And, um, but there are people who have been coming there for like 20 years and people who have worked there for, you know, for 20 years. And there was this whole sort of community around like, hey, we take our friends, we go to the video store, we talk to people there mm-hmm. about what we're seeing, we get recommendations. It's just you know, it's oh, like yeah. this act of like going and then they go home and they watch the movie. And even that, even though it's still, that's still film as opposed to the theater, that still feels a little bit more like a cultural exchange or event than say like you were saying sitting in your lap sitting on the couch with your laptop <laughs> watching like six episodes of Orange is the New Black yeah. and then, like that's enough of that for now and the falling asleep and then waking up and watching scrubs. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do, you know? Yeah. It just feels very different. And we still communicate, you know, we communicate on Facebook and Twitter and whatever about what we're watching and in real life too. Mm-hmm. But it's just yeah, it's just different. It's just different than Maybe the more traditional, hey, let's do this thing together at the same time mm. and experience it together in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that's bad or good or what. It's, yeah, almost, it's, like, it's almost inevitable, you know? Like, I don't know how we yeah. would. <clears throat> and then, like, do you try to. I mean, I love that. I love video stores. I kind of nostalgic for, like, being able to go to, like, even like Blockbuster. Like, those are. Closing everywhere, you know. Yeah, the last video store in Evanston just closing. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. See, I don't know how they survived. Up until yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still love that. Remember that? That's for entertainment. And yeah, that's for entertainment. That, one, that one's closing too. Is it really? That's right. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That was the best place. Or going to a record store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just look cool. on Spotify. Right. You know, <laughs> Oh, they suggested this. I'll or try that. For that matter, just like YouTube. You can YouTube pretty much any song you want. And yeah. Somebody put uploaded it at some yeah. point. Yeah, it's... So it's... I don't know. I don't feel about that. I mean, I'm glad that we have access to so much. Um, 
But I guess specifically, as a challenge for you as as a playwright, like if people are, I mean, not with. I mean, we stopped going to the video store too. We used to go to, we used yeah. to, go to the video store last through last year, but then all of a sudden, I found Amazon Video, <laughs> and I didn't. I haven't been to a video store. To, yeah, you know. So now that you can have pretty much any movie you want instantly, yeah, for as less than a video store, yeah, Amazon Video is less than our video store. You know, I mean, then what does that mean for the theater? As as that becomes more and more pronounced, you know, like yeah, time to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or is, or is there a way to transition? Or yeah, know. well, that's one reason why I think. I mean, the fundamentals of theater. If you really look at it, I don't think people ever stop wanting to gather together to experience things communally. Yeah, you know. Um, so I think, if anything, it forces us to examine what is theater really about fundamentally. Mm. Uh, it's not going to mm. entertain as easily or as quickly as television can. That, that ship has definitely sailed. Mm. Um, it doesn't have the same amount of um, spectacle possible. You know, so you'd have to really look at what, is, what, what can theater do. Yeah. Uniquely, and I think actually that's very much uh, been affecting plays in a good way. I think people are really, I think playwrights are really responding to the moment by by writing things that are really honest and really sort of uh, ritualistic, but in a fresh way, you know. And um, I think I think that um, <clears throat> that all that is happening in response to okay, well we can't you know, we can't do. Um, do A, B, and C better than Netflix and Amazon. So don't try that. You know, try you know, do you basically. Mm. Um, yeah. How is the Guinness? Like one thing that would be really powerful. Something you said before sparked this is. I'm just taking Evanston for example because there's been over the past year or two there's been murder. You know, a couple murders and. Uh, not as bad, you know, not as quite the level of Chicago. You know, it's still just, mm -hmm. not just, but. Um, yeah. So there's been this violence, and then there's been conversations about uh, race and how to improve racial relations in Evanston. But it seems because that's, that's all head still. That's all intellectual. Like, right. Oh, if we did this, then this might result. But if we had a play that was specific to Evanston, that referenced places in Evanston and situations and stores or something, you know, and we all kind of got to see it act out and then talked about what it brought up. I mean, that would be really powerful, I think, you know, as a way to, as a community to reflect on what's happening in our community. That would be, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think that there are definitely theater, I'm not sure about Evanston, but there are definitely theater companies that do that community-created theater is sort of what they specialize in. I think that's really powerful, especially because people then have a role to play. Mm. It's not just purely, oh, I'm an audience member coming to be entertained by a show. It's I have, I'm invested because I'm part of it. Mm. You know, and that's really powerful. There was actually mm. a play called The Projects. It was an American theater company in Chicago um, that dealt with um, it was people's stories um, living in Chicago housing project, projects. Over, I'm not sure what the time span was, but it, it was um, taking people's stories from several different decades leading up to the present, um, and uh, and that's what it was. It was created, you know, with in collaboration with the community. Uh, P.J. Paparelli was the artistic director of that theater company. He actually passed away um, recently um, mm. in a tragic accident. He was in overseas in Scotland, I believe, and this was a play that was the last thing that he was. He actually worked on in Chicago, um, but but yeah, it's, those are the kinds of projects that really um, can potentially uh, galvanize a community and help us to address things that we can't in other ways. It's like a form of art therapy or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I have one more question. What is God? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
what's like what what are you working on now and because you have one year left at the Juilliard program right? I do and then what are you thinking for the next ten years <laughs> <laughs> well I I wrote a play called Protect the Beautiful Place which is sort of a family comedy slash drama set in southern Illinois and the basic premise of it is that um, there's a woman named Gail who's the main character. She's in her 60s. Her husband has died uh, relatively recently. Uh, a cow fell on him and he died. <laughs> and he's still a character in the play because he comes, he comes in as a ghost. He comes into the house at night and talks to all the characters. Uh, but he's told her that that like her time to die is next. And she's like, what are you talking about? I have things to do. And they live in this sort of off-the-grid kind of situation because they wanted to create their own sort of um, alcove. Is that, is that a word? Mm. Is that the right word? Oh. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> their own little place to be. Retreat? Retreat. I don't know. Yeah, they... they They've uh, and I'm still working out. It's actually kind of becoming a series of plays. So this uh, this play is set in the present, and then the next play I wrote was called Early's House, set in 1975. This hasn't quite worked out exactly, exactly, exactly what brought them to this place. But that being said, um, this first play deals with uh, Gail and her sort of impending death and how she ex- learns to accept that or embrace that. Um, and I don't know, uh, what else to say about that, but yeah, that's what I'm working on this year and, uh, hopefully more stuff is coming up. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so it looks like my next episode will actually be part two with my daughter. Uh, so I did a part one and she really enjoyed it. So, and then I actually crowdsourced some questions from Facebook. So it's it's some really good questions and I'm not totally sure when that'll come out, but hopefully in the next week or two. All right. So thanks for listening.